Great, thank you very much, James. Uh, hey, everyone, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, so have you ever been in a situation where you've got to meet in person somebody who for a long time you've known about, you've admired from afar, but finally you get the opportunity to meet them in the flesh? I had that chance a few years ago with Andre, the guy in the video that we, we've just seen. And before I met him, I'd heard stories. I'd heard stories of um, this guy who was a, a church planter and apostolic leader in Ukraine at the time when the war with Russia happened. And I, I was hearing stories of churches having to flee and then people smuggling food through battle lines and um, preaching the gospel to soldiers who'd invaded their country. And I was like, who is this guy? It's like the, uh, the James Bond of church planting. It sounds incredible. And about two years ago, Andre came over to Manchester and uh, I had the opportunity to host him for an evening. So uh, we cooked a meal, we invited Andre, we invited a few other people around as well. And we had an evening where we were listening to him tell his stories and teachers. And uh, one of the things that he, he said uh, was how important it is for a Christian life and for a church and for a movement of churches to get the key foundations in right. And there are certain things that he saw as foundational pieces that if you've got those things clear, that you could build strong. And uh, I was reflecting on this idea and um, thinking back to when I first became a Christian, what were some of the things that for me were the foundations that the people around me instilled upon me and made sure I had clear? And uh, one of them was the authority of scripture. So uh, it's God's word and what it says goes. Another one was evangelism, the need to be sharing my faith with people who don't know Jesus. Another was prayer and talking to God regularly. But one that Andre highlighted when he was round at our house was the, the foundational importance of remembering the poor. That remembering the poor goes hand in glove with following Jesus. And thinking back, I realised it was probably... A year or two after I became a Christian, before that really sank in for me, I can remember exactly the moment that I saw the connection. And I'd started volunteering with the, the youth ministry at the church that I'd been a part of. And um, a programme had been put together for a term where we would study the book of James with the teenagers. And I'd been assigned a session to lead on James chapter five. And so I went and um, sat down like with a paper there and uh, my Bible opened. I thought, I'm, I'm going to look what's in here uh, and think about how I could uh, put together this youth session on these verses. And the verses just hit me really hard. So uh, this is what it says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I was like, whoa, this is quite intense. Like, couldn't you have given someone else this passage and given me one of the uh, easier ones? But uh, there, there was something in it that really struck me. And I started to see uh, this care for the poor, this care for the oppressed, this care for the needy as something that... Um, wasn't just in James 5, but I started to see it everywhere in Scripture. It was running through the whole Bible and seeing God's heart for this and realising, wow, this really is a foundation piece of the Christian faith. And since that day that I was planning that youth session, I've heard about this topic a lot. And I've 
taught about it a lot and I've sought to live it out in how I follow Jesus. Now my plan this morning is I want to lay this foundation for us as a congregation, as a church, as a community, as individuals, as families, whatever it may be. I want us to really get this strong foundation for remembering the poor. It was a foundation for Jesus in his ministry. When he started his public ministry, he went into the synagogue, he unrolled the scroll and he read from the scroll and it said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The whole ministry of Jesus was to be good news to the poor. And he said, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. If that's the first thing that Jesus said about why he came to be good news to the poor, then surely it better be at the heart of what we are all about as well. I think about the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and you might have read about their ministry in the book of Acts, and they were going from town to town, they were leading people to Christ, they were seeing churches formed in one place after another throughout the Greek-speaking world. And then they had this sense, we, we should go back to Jerusalem, we should go and introduce ourselves to the apostles there, to, to Peter and to James and to John, we should talk about what, what we've been doing, and we should get their stamp of approval on our work so they did and they had this a big old get together in Jerusalem and they told the stories of what they'd been doing and um, Peter and James and John decided to give their verdict on Paul's ministry and, uh, and this is what it says when James and Peter and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised so now they're, they're on board they're happy with what we're doing only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing i was eager to do so the one request that was made by peter and james and john the one thing that when they looked at all that paul was doing they're like we're really encouraged we're on board we're excited about this just one thing guys make sure in all that you're doing don't forget the poor and Paul was like, this is music to my ears. This is exactly what I wanted to do. I want to be remembering the poor. This is a foundation piece of the faith. So we're going to look at it today from an Old Testament passage. Let me just give you the context and then I'll invite Joe to read our passage for us. So it'll be from Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah was written during the reign of several kings in Israel, starting from Isaiah and going to Hezekiah. So we're talking 740 to 700 BC. That 40-year block is the time period that the book of Isaiah was written over. Early in that period, the nation of Israel had been doing okay. There'd been decent trade. There'd been at a time of peace. You know, all the surrounding nations that sometimes had been causing them trouble, they'd been busy doing other things. So uh, they'd kind of prospered for a while. But as that period of time went on, there became an increasing threat of invasion from Assyria, but also internally within the nation of Israel, things weren't quite right either. So Bruce Ware explains it this way. He says, at home too, things were far from well. The newfound wealth was not evenly distributed, but it was concentrated in the hands of an economic elite who cared little for the have-nots beneath them. Deep fissures were opening up in Judean society as justice was bought and sold or simply disregarded 
are replaced by violent exploitation and repression. Religious observance continued, but it could not conceal the rot that had set it underneath. So you've got this outward religion that's missed the heart of God and is ignoring all these injustices, it is ignoring the way the poor are downtrodden. And care for the poor is at the heart of God. So this outward religion has missed the point. That's the context that Isaiah has a message from God that he wants to speak uh, to them, which is Isaiah 58. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. So, Joe, would you mind reading the passage for us, please? Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this, this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such, the is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Brilliant, thank you very much for reading for us. I wonder if you noticed as that was read, that there seems to be a bit of a problem, doesn't there? Those words in verse one tell us that something uh, is going to be said that isn't quite right. He says, cry aloud, do not hold back, declare to my people their transgression. You know, if a message starts like that, you know you're in trouble. You know something's going to be said that challenges what you're doing, what you're thinking. So let's pick out from the passage what was going on. What, what were the people doing? Because some of the things don't sound that big a problem. Like it says they were seeking God daily. I, I wonder how many people on this call that's true of. How many of us seek God daily? Maybe um, if you are, they were doing the same thing. Maybe they were ahead of some of us in terms of their frequency of seeking God. It says they delight to know his ways. So these would be the people who they'd be bang up to date with their Bible in a year plan. Uh, even now in November, they'd be on track with it. They want to know God's ways. They'd be listening to podcasts with preaching. They'd want to get to know God. They'd be getting theology books. They'd probably be signed up for School of Theology. They'd want to know God's ways. They ask of me righteous judgment. So they come into God and they're asking God for his perspective on the judgments that they need to make. Says so they fasted. This is a good thing to do. It's a way of drawing close to God. Verse five talks about 
how they humbled themselves. They were bowing down. They were wearing sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was a symbol of mourning. So these were people who were mourning before God. What were they mourning? Maybe the state of their nation, maybe the threats externally, maybe that things were not right internally, maybe even they're mourning the state of their own hearts before God. Now, just imagine for a second that um, there's somebody who you're helping grow in their faith, a new Christian, uh, and you're mentoring them. And you're seeing these signs in their life that this person you're mentoring is seeking God on a daily basis, that they're diligently trying to get to know, know God better. They're bringing the decisions they need to make to God. They're fasting and uh, it's kind of a mourning in their, their heart for, for things that aren't right. You'd be encouraged, wouldn't you? Like, actually, things seem to be on a good track here. Things are going well with this person. And yet this picture that Isaiah paints there's also something lacking because that question in verse five, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? You can just uh, pick up that kind of edge of sarcasm in the question. Like, you think this is a fast? The answer is clearly no, no, this isn't a fast that's acceptable to God. So why not? What was the problem? Well, verse three says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. These people, they were making out that this is all for God, but really it was about them. It was about them and their pleasure, them getting what they want, doing what they wanted to do. Also, verse three says, you oppress your workers. So just picture here, like somebody's in their home, maybe they're in like a, a quiet room and they're worshipping. They've got um, a worship playlist on, they're singing, their hands are raised to God and they're praying, they're spending their day studying the scriptures. And outside in their fields, harvesting the crops, you've got people there who they're ripping off, who they're not paying a fair wage to, who they're mistreating and causing these people to live in poverty and not have enough while they're kind of bunkered up worshipping God. That's kind of what's going on. Verse 4 says, behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist it's like yes they're they're fighting but they're, yes they're fasting but also they're wanting to fight and cause strife with other people so god looks at this picture is this acceptable to god and the answer is no i think what we learn from that the principle there that we take is that it's it's all well and good to do the religious stuff to tick the boxes to read the bible to pray to worship but if you're not caring for the poor alongside it, then your faith is worthless. Verse four says, fasting like this will not make your voice to be heard on high. You know, when you pray, when you fast, you want God to hear your prayers, don't you? Just fasting like this will not make your voice to be heard on high. Remember a few years ago, I was part of the Gorton site of CCM. We had this thing that we do two or three times a year that we called Hungry for God. And it was it was a really good thing. Like we would uh, take a day, a Saturday usually, and we would all fast for the day. And then we'd get together in the evening and we'd have like a prayer and praise night. We'd have some of our musicians leading worship. People would be uh, praying for different things. We'd do that for about an hour. And then at the end of that meeting, we'd all break the fast together with takeaway pizzas and it was just a good thing to do as a community getting together and seeking God 
And remember one time when we did it, we completely misjudged the order of pizza. And we'd ordered like 10 large pizzas and there were about 25 people in the room. And so I saw what had happened quite early. And so for a lot of this meeting, I was kind of doing the maths and working out, right, if, if we've got 10 pizzas, how many slices of pizza do we have? And we've got this many people and how many slices will each person take? There'll be some people over there they might take four, but that person might only take two. And kind of working out how much pizza would be left over at the end. And I was eyeing up this leftover pizza. I mean, everyone loves leftover pizza, don't they? Pizza for breakfast, cold pizza for breakfast. What a beautiful thing. And I thought there's going to be pizza left. And I might get some. I might even get like a decent chunk of pizza to take home after this. I'd kind of been eyeing it up and working it out. And then when we were doing pack down, I'd been making sure that I was positioning myself packing away the equipment nearest the pizza table you know so if, if it got to the point that it was up for grabs I could just dive in and get some there was a lady who was part of the congregation called Grace and uh, Grace said uh, to us like hey guys I've noticed there's some spare pizza left and uh, there, there's a family on my street and I don't think they'll have eaten tonight could I take the spare pizza and give it as a gift for them and when she said that, it was like an arrow through my heart. It was so convicting because there'd be me all evening. I meant I was supposed to be in this place where I was worshipping and praying. I was meant to be there for God. And yet the whole time my eyes had been on the pizza. I hadn't been wondering who's not eating tonight and who else could. could I'd just been thinking about myself. I was so convicted in that moment. And these people in Isaiah's day, they were focused on themselves, even if all the outward appearance made it look like they, they were there for God. They had no care for those around them who had nothing. In the New Testament, James writes, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Or John writes, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's powerful stuff. And so Isaiah goes on in verses 6 and 7, he doesn't just tell them what they're doing wrong. But he shows them what real, true fasting that's acceptable to God would look like. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh we're called upon to loose the bonds i don't know how many of you have ever had the experience of strapping a child into a car seat but one of the key things when you're doing that is you need it to be really tight you need it so that that child can't move can't wriggle can't squirm out of the seat because as the car moves around you need them to be held in place and for a child in a car seat that's a good thing but poverty can do that to people it can hold people tightly in bound so there's no freedom to move and do things and live and we're called upon to loose the bonds, to give people that breathing space. You know, Jesus, he uh, spoke to the Pharisees and he condemned them. 
because they were putting burdens on people. He said they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders and they're not willing to move them with their finger. They wanted people bound up and burdened down. And this calling Isaiah is no, loose the bonds, undo the straps, break every yoke. And give some practical examples of what that looks like. He says to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless into your home, to cover the naked. He's talking about some really practical things here, practically helping and serving those in need. When Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats, and you know, on the last day, people will be separated into two groups. And there's the question, well, why are we in this group and why are we in that group? His answer came down to these things, you know, you're in this group, you, you served the hungry, you gave food and water to those who needed it, you visited the prisoner, you clothed the naked, you did these things. And then he says at the end of verse 7, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. You know, the temptation, well, we, we know about the needs in the world. We know um, about hunger. We know about poverty. And yet, isn't there a temptation to hide ourselves? Isn't there a temptation to just get our head into our job, into our family, into our church, whatever it might be? And we focus so much on these things that it's like we kind of blinker out everything that's going on around us or maybe we see a person on the street a person in need perhaps a, a homeless person and it's so easy to hide ourselves isn't it does anyone else do that headphones in eyes down walk fast i'm not going to get stopped today we hide ourselves from people in need but that is not the stuff of following god following god isn't just about doing our church meetings and doing our praying and our private study and ignoring the needs of the poor that's a big foundation of what Christianity is. James says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Think about the church in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The, the description there is, is of a church as church should be. And we should look to this church as, wow, this is Kevin. Kind of a visionary inspiring picture of what church can be it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers all came upon every soul many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We then told two chapters later what the effect of this was. And that's that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. You can read on it, you can see by Acts chapter 6, they're, they're giving so much to the widows. Now they've got an administrative problem and they're needing to raise up new people who can manage all the generosity and all the giving to people who were in need. It wasn't just the Jerusalem church that, that had generosity at the core. The church spread through the Roman Empire and it got a bit of a reputation. 
for caring for the poor. In fact, an opponent of Christianity who wanted to slander the church, this is the best they could come up with. They said Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans not only care for their own poor, but for ours as well. I mean, can you imagine uh, waking up one morning, buying your newspaper, and the headline is like, new scandal hits the church. And you go, oh, what, what is this going to be? And the scandal is they care for the poor. Well, that was the scandal of the church in the Roman Empire. Wouldn't it be great to cause a scandal like that again, caring for the poor both in our number and outside? It was a foundation of their faith, and it should be a foundation of our faith too. Now, why? Why should it be a foundation for us? Frankly, it's because this is what God has done for us. It says in 2 Corinthians that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When we had nothing to offer, when our hands were empty before God, Jesus who had everything, he gave it all for us. And now we're called to give and to serve and to use our lives, blessing those who have very little. Now, in a church, we're going after this in a big way. Earlier this year, when uh, COVID lockdowns first hit, and uh, particularly in the developing world, there was a huge consequences of these lockdowns. There were furlough schemes everywhere. And in some places, people needed to work each day in order to live. So we quickly mobilized to do uh, a special offering earlier this year. We raised more than we've ever raised before in any offering. And we, we teamed up with a, a load of other churches in our movement as well, raised um, many hundreds of thousands of pounds that is now being spent on these people uh, and communities uh, administered through churches in different parts of the world uh, where, where people were starving and where people had nothing. But we don't see this as a one-time thing. I don't think we can sit back and think, well, in May we did our bit. We, we've ticked off caring for the poor, so let's just go back to being in our rooms, studying our Bibles and ignore it once again. We can't do that. It needs to be an ongoing thing for us. I love it as a church that this is part of the rhythm of church life, that coming up to Christmas every year we do this give big offering and we give it all away and we give it away to people in need. James mentioned earlier the causes that we're giving it to the Oasis Centre, Barnabas and Andre's work in Ukraine. So I would encourage you this year, why, why not give and why not come to God and say, God, what would you have me give and let him stir your heart? To generosity. Remembering the poor isn't an optional extra, it's a foundation of the faith. And give big isn't the only way to do it, but it's a great way to do it, where we can all come together as a church and stand in solidarity and remember the poor, which, as Paul says, is the very thing that we were eager to do.